going on today for the heart and soul of America, and the right side must win. It's time for America Can We Talk with Debbie Georgiatis. On America Can We Talk, we talk truth about America and why it matters to you. America Can We Talk starts now. And good evening and welcome. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. I'm so glad you've tuned in tonight to America Can We Talk. For my first five tonight, I want to tell you a story that I don't know whether you happen to have grabbed on the news or not. It flashed in the news and went away, but I think it has great significance for America, has great significance for how all of us see our country and, and try to help our country be a better place. In the state of Michigan, there was a young girl, a girl who was five years old, a young African-American girl, a young black girl, who came home after an evening playing outside uh, and was very distraught and with uh, two friends and told an older, uh, these are all kids, seven years old, six years old, she was five, got home to her um, home in Michigan and told her parents that a white man on the street, uh, who's later identified as a 60-year-old white man, um, had urinated on her and then had used a racial slur in speaking with her. So the parents questioned her. They questioned the other kids that were there, uh, called the police. The police um, you know, scammed the neighborhood. They went around, and they ended up arresting a 60-year-old white man living on that or nearby in that area um, for these charges. And so the, the story went viral briefly. The story was all over um, Twitter, all over Facebook, and it was being touted by many people as the C, this is an example. This is how bad race relations have gotten in America. How, and you, you have that reaction. You're just cringing at the thought of that having occurred. This 60-year-old white guy um, having done this to a young girl, and she's distraught, and the parents are distraught. Just, just a, a horrible thing. But the reason I want to tell the story is that what occurred as the story has unfolded, and this all happened, I believe, maybe on Friday. This story went out, and the story went all over Facebook um, what has occurred since then is that it turns out that the young girl made the story up, that it didn't happen at all. And in, there are interesting details to share with you about this because I think it has a lot to do with, it's very reflective of the kind of political and social, uh, cultural environment we are living in in America, which is caused in great part by the anti-American left, the ardent, strident anti-American left of using the term racist or hater in every discussion of every issue that America faces is always the answer coming from the left is to hurl the invective of racist or hater. But back to the story. So this young girl, uh, the, when the parents called the police, the police took the uh, the girl, the five-year-old plus these other little boys. I think it was two seven-year-old boys, but took them all down, you know, separated them, had them interviewed by first police and then by these um, some kind of social worker type people who work, not volunteers, social worker type people who were trying to get this story out and understand what happened. What was the interaction? Why would this man have done that? And those people all concluded 
that the girl was telling the truth, that this had really happened. And they, you know, you just can never, you cannot tolerate things like this. And so they scoured the neighborhood, as they say. They finally found someone. They arrested him. They brought him down for questioning. But the parents of the girl was reported later, both during the time the girl was at the home telling the parents about it, and during the time that they were, the kids were being, in, in, not interrogated, but they were being questioned and, and talked to by the authorities, the authorities came away with the conclusion that this had occurred. The girl was telling the truth. The parents did not think so. And the parents finally came back and talked to the girl and got the young girl to finally say, I made it up. That actually one of the boys had done that to her, had urinated on her. But she, they were afraid of the boy getting in trouble. The girl was just afraid of the whole kind of scene that was unfolding. And so what they decided to do was to make up this story. I am not in the slightest piling on this girl or her or the other little boys involved or the parents. I commend the parents for using that parental intuition, which most of us, we know we, know we have it. You know, and I, you know when your kids are not square. Or you know something. You're, you're pretty, you, know, you know your kids. So they knew, and they didn't just give in to the storyline that was being created by the media at that point and by the police department, but they went with their gut and they talked their dargan. Hunan said, Actually, I just made it up. But I will tell you, in reading this story, even coming to the studio today, um, I was reading things online. The comments after this story included people saying things like, well, the police just probably harass that little girl. They probably just, this is how they interrogate people. They scare the daylights out of them. And when they scare the daylights out of them, of course, the girl finally retracted her story. It probably it was probably true all along. These are the kinds of comments you're getting. And I want to get at why and why this is so, so bad for our society and why though all of us who love America and love our fellow citizens, love our fellow man, want America to be a good and better place. The American left has, and I, I was trying to think, it is just like this perpetual language of left-wing perpetual outrage, the left-wing hate media, the left-wing uh, racist media. Everything is cast in terms of hate and racism. And this benefits the American left, both because it, the label tends to, uh, just, it labels the people, their opponents, it creates and engenders suspicion, hatred, um, outrage, it destroys the reputations of people who are falsely accused, it makes people less likely to speak up when they need to do that, when they should, and it benefits the accusers. We got to go off to break here. I'm pretty much done with this story, but I wanted to share it with you to say America's a better place than that story depicted. Come right back. America faces unprecedented threats to our national security. The Center for Security Policy, based in Washington, D.C., is a national leader focused on the organization, management, and direction of public policy coalitions to promote U.S. national security. The Center is a special forces in the war of ideas dedicated to identifying opportunities and challenges likely to affect American security and acting promptly to ensure that they are the subject of focused national examination and effective action. The Center enlists support from executive branch officials, key legislators, and other public policy 
organizations and brings these teams together to develop and shape policies that will keep America safe. Check out CenterForSecurityPolicy.org for the latest news and developments brought to you by America's leading security experts. Becoming and remaining informed is one of the best ways every citizen can be a part of the mission to keep America safe. That's CenterForSecurityPolicy.org. Do you dream of a better world? One where poverty and hunger are a thing of the past? What if you could make a real difference in the lives of those most in need? The solution to poverty is not handouts, but hope. The freedom and opportunity to use one's talents and resources for good. At Five Talents, we empower the poor to start their own small businesses. Five Talents works in some of the most difficult places in the world. With $85, you can help a new entrepreneur escape from poverty and build a sustainable business that helps her whole family. Can you think of anywhere else your gift can work that effectively? When you walk with five talents, you bring opportunity to those most in need. Join us in demonstrating the greatness of American generosity. Visit 5talents.org today to learn about the impact you can make. That's 5talents.org. F-I-V-E talents.org. Our military and veterans have served all of us, defending our nation whenever and wherever duty calls. But at home, when their families need support, they know they can turn to Operation Homefront for help. Operation Homefront provides military families with critical financial assistance, transitional and permanent housing, and family support programs throughout the year to help prevent their short-term needs from turning into long-term struggles. When you support Operation Homefront, your donation will make a real difference because 92% of their expenditures go directly towards programs that our military families need most. Each year, Operation Homefront serves thousands of military families, families in your community, helping wounded veterans transition to civilian life, helping military families pay overdue bills when their loved ones deploy overseas, and helping them through their short-term struggles. Make a difference today and help serve America's military families. Visit OperationHomefront.org. That's OperationHomefront.org. Do you know that one in nearly five United States residents lives in an immigrant household? That we take in more than one million new legal immigrants every year? Studying the impact of federal immigration program is the mission of the Center for Immigration Studies, the nation's only think tank looking at the broad national effect of immigration policy. Whether it's on crime, welfare, national security, or the job market, CIS digs out information about immigration from government sources, translates it into English, and makes it available to the public, the news media, and policymakers in Washington. Check out its work at CIS.org. CIS makes the case for better enforcement against illegal immigration and lower levels of legal immigration in the future. Most other special interest groups pursue the opposite. The only thing standing between them and open borders is an informed public. Get informed and stay informed by visiting CIS.org. That's CIS.org. Welcome back to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Thank you so much for tuning in to America Can We Talk. One more point on my story in the first five of tonight about this young girl. What I really want to stress is that it's important and interesting to think about what would have driven her 
to create a story like that? In what world would many, I mean, I, I love that even her parents were suspicious of the story from the start and that they were the ones who finally said, you know, I don't think this sounds true and were able to get this young girl to come forward. But I do think we're living in, an, we have an, a, an American political conversation. We have an American environment where the anti-American left spends so much time depicting every issue uh, boiling down to racism or hatred it's uh, the the accusation is hurled relentlessly. I had this expression. I think I didn't get it out. And it was like the left wing hate machine. It is just a constant effort of the of the anti-American left to both depict things in terms of hate, label people who have any disagreement with any policy whatsoever as hateful. They create a hateful environment. They engender hatred. They nurture it in the environment, pitting people against each other. They destroy their opponents. They silence people. They silence people. I'm going to talk about this a lot tonight in various stories, how many times what happens when you realize you might want to speak up on an issue, but you know what the left will do is call you a hater or a racist, their two favorite words, that you think, oh, I'm just going to let it go. So what you're doing is capitulating. You're letting the left set and hold the narrative, the false narrative about America. And all of this false narrative slinging benefits the leftists who practice it. And it's just, it's unhealthy for America. We have to be able, able to have discussions on issues of all kinds without always running up against the, you're a hater, you're a racist, and you know the whole other long litany of names that they sometimes come up with. And the reason I'm talking about this tonight is because that story was one, we're going to talk, touch on it in other stories too tonight, well, some relating to South Africa. We might get around to the NFL controversy, I don't know. But what I want to talk about this segment, uh, first I want to say and remember that in honor, uh, Senator John McCain. I'm sure everyone listening knows Senator McCain passed away yesterday. He uh, he lived an American patriot's life, if there ever was one. I mean, someone, very few of us have ever lived uh, in the whole country, have had the experiences of suffering and serving his country, and then serving his country in, in the Senate. I'm sure his family and loved ones would love your your prayers of support and, and our prayers of support. So love, love to them, and uh, I, I'm grateful for his service. And speaking of his service and the United States Senate— we now have pending, in the, or we will soon in the Senate have pending, the nomination for U.S. Um, Supreme Court. We have an open seat in the U.S. Supreme Court. I'm sure you know the nomination being of Brett Kavanaugh. And this guy, um, Brett Kavanaugh, is pretty darn stellar. But, you know, as they, they say about the left, never let a good controversy go to waste. Now that we had this past week the conviction of Paul Manafort, a Trump affiliate or former Trump campaign manager, and you had a guilty plea entered by Michael Cohen, who is the uh, was President Trump's attorney. I talked about both those cases at great length in my podcast this week. By the way, if you don't know about my podcast, Wednesdays, 3 p.m. Central Time, you can go to it in Facebook Live at America Can We Talk. My podcasts are up and they stay up. And so I talked about uh, those uh, two cases. But Schumer, Chuck Schumer, the, um, thank goodness, minority leader of the U.S. Senate, uh, is up to his old tricks and trying to say, well, now that we have the Manafort conviction, now that we have Cohen pleading guilty, President Trump is under suspicion. So we can't, we cannot move forward on the Kavanaugh nomination for the Supreme Court. Kavanaugh hearing is set to start in the Senate September 4th, the day after Labor Day weekend. This is the biggest item, in my opinion, on the entire U.S. Senate agenda. And there are many profoundly important items. 
But getting that Supreme Court slot filled while the Republicans have the Senate, and I'll be on record and say it again, Republicans are going to hold the Senate and the House. That's what I think. But we have this opportunity to have a hearing before the Senate and a confirmation, hopefully a hearing uh, on the uh, Monday after Labor Day. And truly they are targeting, I was reading, they are targeting to have a confirmation and placement on the Supreme Court by the end of the second week of September, certainly before the fall season, that the fall of the Supreme Court session starts in early October. This is the most important thing that is on the Senate, and I want to tell you why. The American left has managed to get most of their agenda accomplished in the last decades, not because they could ever get enough Americans to agree with them, to elect people, to legislatures and the, in the states and the House and the Senate to do their agenda. They forced their agenda, their, their left-wing agenda, on the American people through the courts. The courts are the ones that give us all sorts of decisions, even that President Obama could not get the House and Senate to pass. So the idea of having um, Justice Kavanaugh or Judge Kavanaugh become Justice Kavanaugh on the Supreme Court is vital. Schumer's argument that we can't have a hearing now. I mean, hey, no, we can't have a hearing. Look, I don't man for it. Cohen, look at what happened. I want to just uh, remind you of something. I think I reminded you of this a few months ago, but let me just say it again. When President Clinton an actual, you know, uh, bad actor in the White House. When President Clinton was president of the United States, he nominated two separate occasions justices to the Supreme Court while he, Clinton, in one case was under criminal investigation, another time under subpoena. And Chuck Schumer didn't have a problem with that. It's so, it's so just blatantly hypocritical, blatantly dishonest, blatantly false reason that Schumer's putting forward saying we can't have the Kavanaugh hearing. And so I will just to be precise, Bill Clinton nominated Ruth Bader Ginsburg in 1993. And, you know, lo and behold, they just let her get on the court. Nobody said, well, I'm sorry, because Clinton is under investigation. You can't be you can't be considered. Same thing with Justice Stephen Breyer, nominated by Clinton and appointed while Clinton was under subpoena. There is no reason and do not let this leftist dupe you into thinking that somehow the polite thing, the good thing, the noble, the statesman thing would be to let this nomination slide until the after the midterm elections. Of course, the Democrats are thinking, the reason they're thinking this, of course, is they think they might take back the Senate. That is their hope. They might take back the Senate. And if they do, you know, doggone it, they're going to hold up all of his nominations. This guy, Brett Kavanaugh, has Stellar recommendations down the line. He's got uh, the best recommendations you can have from the ABA. The Democrats in the United States Senate, for the most part, with the exception of a few, most of the Democrat senators won't meet with him. They won't read any of the, the – it's 700 decisions if you count the ones he authored or else co-signed. They won't read them. They won't talk about them. They just want to get him out on the floor and start lambasting about a bunch of issues and questions that are essentially dis, uh, designed to make him look like a bad guy who somehow is a threat to the country. But this is, if there's ever a need, if there's ever a need for Mitch McConnell to show some backbone, which he has done very rarely in his life. But if Mitch McConnell, the Senate Majority Leader, would say, we're having this vote, and we're having it this week, and, we're, and you know, he need, they need to get, by the way, they need to get a replacement appointed for Senator McCain. Uh, the Arizona Governor Ducey gets to appoint the replacement. There's a lot of speculation out there, different people he might appoint. I don't know who he'll appoint. One one very serious speculation is that, that um, Governor Ducey of Arizona will appoint 
Senator John McCain's wife, Cindy McCain, to fill out his term. I don't know. You know, I'm, I, he's no, no one can control him. He has to make the decision. But whoever it is, we need to get a senator in that seat so we have a close enough to a firm majority with of Republicans in the Senate. And then this needs to be our number one focus. Because if it isn't, if we let this dilly-dally, we're going to have the Democrats just digging up more dirt. We're going to have Mueller digging up more dirt. It's going to go on and on and on and on and on. And there is no way that if we have the Democrats get a majority in the Senate, that you'll have a stellar justice like Kavanaugh appointed to the Supreme Court. They will just block it. They might block every nomination President Trump makes for the entire two years before the midterm, before the 2020 presidential elections. So all sorts of Democrats weighing in saying, well, you know, uh, I mean, just, you know, all this high minded caca. Uh, I, I do want to mention actually one quick thing, particular, uh, particularly obnoxious objection that the Democrats are making. This is Senator Dianne Feinstein. She of the Chinese spy and her staff, but what difference does that make? Um, she has put a tweet out basically saying that the reason Kavanaugh can never be confirmed is because he has said that he uh, does not think presidents can ever be prosecuted, they should never be investigated, and that they have a, the authority at will to fire a special counsel. You know, my, uh, my legal brain wants to just dissect everything she said, and I'll just tell you the short story. She is grossly, grossly misrepresenting two different articles that Judge Kavanaugh wrote, one for the Minnesota Law Review, one for Georgetown Law Review, essentially talking about, in a hypothetical way, could Congress do this? Should Congress pass this? Should Congress pass a law that says essentially that the sitting president is immune from civil litigation, which I think they should. But, you know, he, he's talking like that. He's writing about in a very constitutional, very scholarly way. He's saying even criminal prosecutions, what the Constitution set up, if a president uh, engages in criminal wrongdoing, is impeachment and removal. If you have a president subject to either the civil or criminal prosecutions, it'll be a playground for the opposing political party. And he's right. I'm Debbie Georgias. This is America Can We Talk. We come back after the break. I want to turn subjects and talk with you about the amazing attack on, on the Horowitz Center for Freedom. You got to hear this. Come right back. America is greatly blessed by the men and women serving in our military who are defending us every day, making our freedom possible. Military families also serve, and they face hardships while dads and moms are far from home. Military families endure frequent moves around the country and overseas, requiring them to adjust to new schools and make new friends over and over. They also face anguish while their soldiers deployed overseas, often in harm's way. The Army Scholarship Foundation offers one way to help military families by providing academic scholarships to children and spouses of soldiers. And you can help. Visit ArmyScholarshipFoundation.org and consider making a tax-deductible donation to help a military family member pursue his or her educational dreams. Assisting military family members with their college education is a great way for all of us at home to say thank you to our military families for your service and sacrifice. Visit ArmyScholarshipFoundation.org and get involved today. The right to freedom of speech, to be who you are and to speak your mind, is a foundational American value enshrined in the First Amendment to our Constitution. And nowhere is that value more important than on America's college campuses. But too often on our campuses, unpopular political opinions or religious beliefs are met with censorship or even violence instead of honest dialogue and discussion. And Texas colleges are no exception. 
Schools like the University of Texas at Austin, Sam Houston State University, and the University of North Texas all place burdensome restrictions on free speech. That's why the Foundation for Individual Rights in Education, FIRE, fights back against the censors to defend liberty on America's college campuses. Does your college or alma mater uphold our most cherished American value of freedom of speech? Find out by visiting thefire.org and consider lending FIRE your support. Have you heard of the Policy Circle? It's a national network of women who come together in neighborhood conversations to discuss the public policies impacting their communities. You can think of it as a book club, but instead of reviewing a book, members discuss public policy issues. Policy Circle members have access to membership-only resources and benefits that complement a thoughtful framework for women to come together and have fact-based discussions. From healthcare to poverty... From free enterprise to education, from fiscal responsibility to the First Amendment, we discuss the issues that shape America. Change starts with a conversation. Conversations happen when women across the nation are connected and engaged in their communities, openly sharing their views and taking a leadership role in policy dialogue on what human creativity can accomplish in a free economy. Are you ready to join a growing network of engaged women? To join or start your own policy circle, visit thepolicycircle.org today. That's thepolicycircle.org. The federal government spends $900 billion annually on anti-poverty programs. What has it produced? 75% of black children are born into fatherless homes. 43% of the prison population is black. The black poverty rate has remained at twice the national average. And cities like Oakland, Baltimore, St. Louis, and Detroit are in ruins. Instead of helping, bad policies and billions of dollars have spread a sickness in the black community. It's time for a cure. The Center for Urban Renewal and Education, CURE, led by President Star Parker, is addressing our nation's most critical problems in our nation's most distressed zip codes. CURE's mission is to fight poverty and restore dignity through faith, freedom, and personal responsibility. To find out more, to read about how CURE works, and how you can help, please visit urbancure.org and sign up for our weekly newsletter. Together, you and I can cure America. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. Um, I want to tell you that the ad, if you're listening to, um, I'm not sure which uh, audiences which hear, hear which advertisements, but if you're listening and you just heard the advertisement for CURE, the Center for Urban Renewal and Education, I want to tell you, I'm so excited to, to welcome them to the um, advertisers on this show, America Can We Talk, CURE, founded and run by Star Parker, who happens to be a personal friend. She's also a stellar human being, an author, a very successful advocate for improving the lives of low-income Americans in inner cities. I just love this lady. So happy to have her advertising on the show. Okay, so I want to turn and talk about uh, this this amazing occurrence this week. You've been reading a lot, I'm sure, about how the uh, social media crowds, um, the social media powers that be in this country, are um, just on a mission to shut down, I'm sorry, I'm trying to adjust something here, uh, on a mission to shut down conservatives. I mean, it is truly 
astonishing the brazen, brazen, openly anti-conservative agenda of Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. And I want to tell you a really good story that happened this week. I just realized coming into the studio today, and by the way, I want to say my quick thank you. I'm doing this show again from the great state of California, which is lovely. Based in Texas, love Salem and Irving, Texas. Thank you so much, 660 AM. Thank you, Greg Lindemood, for helping out so I can do this show from California. Thank you, Kevin Campbell, here in the Oxnard studio, making it all happen. Very fun. Okay, so David Horowitz was a, is the founder of a group called the David Horowitz Freedom Center. What happened to him this last week is a great, great example of why it's important to keep tabs on social media, to complain loudly and, and repeatedly and relentlessly until they back down, but also to recognize the vast, and I, I sound like Hillary Clinton, the vast right-wing conspiracy, the vast left-wing conspiracy to shut down conservative voices. It's not just Twitter and Facebook and YouTube. At this recently, in the last few weeks, the huge credit card companies, I am talking about MasterCard and Visa, got in the act to try to shut down conservative voices. It's truly breathtaking. And they, in turn, were being pressured by the completely disgraced, outrageous smear campaign organization with the lovely name of Southern Poverty Law Center. Southern Poverty Law Center is a radical left-wing smear campaign you know, parading around, dressed up as though it's trying to help poor people and minorities, which it is not. It's a, it is a one of those groups using what I was talking about, the left-wing hate machine. They generate accusations of hate. They, they put out lists of who they are calling haters. And they, Southern Poverty Law Center, pressured uh, both of the MasterCard and Visa organizations, banks, to, co- to shut down the uh, website for David Horowitz to shut down the ability of people to make donations and membership dues to the David Horowitz Freedom Center. The good news is the David Horowitz Freedom Center, just a brilliant organization, is big enough and tenacious enough that they did not back down. In fact, instead, they instead they had their lawyers meeting with the lawyers for MasterCard and Visa. I'm pretty sure the lawyers for Southern Poverty Law Center were not invited, but they sat down and just today announced, or I guess late last night, today, whenever it was, announced they're going to reinstate the right, the ability of David Horowitz Freedom Center to receive contributions on his website through Visa and MasterCard. But I want to tell you, I I was so impressed. I had not ever read this before. When I read the mission statement of the David Horowitz Freedom Center, I understood exactly why you have Southern Poverty Law Center, radical leftists, you know, hate mongers, that, that is their, that is their, you know, their, what they sell, what they give, what they contribute to American society is just pure hate. But in any case, so you can hear, when you hear what David Horowitz Freedom Center's mission statement is, you will start to understand why he drives them so nuts. David Horowitz, by the way, used to be a lib, I mean, like a huge lib. Um, he was a... Um, a radical leftist, I think, in the 60s. Anyway, he's just a brilliant force for, uh, for America, for constitutional government. But here is the David Horowitz Freedom Center, um, and I had to handwrite this. I'm reading my own handwriting from uh, writing in. But the Horowitz Freedom Center is unique among conservative think tanks whose emphasis on pub- is on public policy and institutional reform in that it sees its role as that of a battle tank, geared up to fight a war that many still don't recognize. For 27 years, since its founding in 1988, 
The David Horowitz Freedom Center has been warning that the political left has declared war on America and its constitutional system and is willing to collaborate with America's enemies abroad and criminals at home to bring America down. For most of those years, the center was a voice crying in the wilderness with few willing to recognize, lost my place yet, recognize the threat from the enemy within a fifth column force that was steadily expanding its influence within the Democratic Party. With the election of a lifetime radical to the White House in 2008, the perceptions of conservatives began to change, but the center remains unique as an organization dedicated to the war and developing strategies to win it. Okay, this is a guy who's been talking since before President Obama came into office in 2008 about recognizing the depth of determination of the American left to not just win elections and slightly expand the tax base and you know, have a, few, a little bit broader base of government assistance programs. He recognizes the American left, and I call in this show the anti-American left, because what they're for is not American. The anti-American left is all about bringing down the extraordinary greatness of America. And so he's, you know, I'm sure that mission statement did not make uh, many on the left happy. So what, as I said earlier uh, this week, I guess, or last week, they cut him off and through a combination of meetings between lawyers, I'm sure threats of litigation, and on top of that, the massive public outpouring of support saying, come on, this is, this is a, you know, a, a nationally and probably internationally renowned organization, and because Southern Poverty Law Center is twisting the arm of, of MasterCard and Visa, you're going you're gonna to agree to shut down this center from getting donations? Because, you, you know, obviously, people like to rely on credit cards. You can really, really damage somebody if you won't let the credit card companies, um, if credit card companies won't use their, um, you know, allow you to use their services. So that was fixed, and that was a good fix. But this is one little example of much of what's happening in this country in terms of censoring by the left. When I say the anti-American left, it is a conglomeration. I don't say, I mean, it's a big conspiracy that they all sat down in a room one day and hashed up a plan but the anti-American left, the, the anti-constitutional government, the anti-freedom, the anti-idea of America's greatness left is compi- comprised of all sorts of people, academics on the left, who've been teaching anti-Americanism. We're going to talk about that in the next segment for a little, in a little while. But teaching anti-Americanism, teaching America's a bad place, teaching it's not a place to be respected, that you should fight it. I mean... We're talking about a. This is actually really a, a a war within a cultural war within America between the anti-American left, who's now willing to use weapons like credit card companies. And I don't know what Southern Poverty Law Center has on Mastercard or Visa board members, but I'm going to guess it's something. I mean, truly, this is a force for evil in this country, disgraced, you know, outrage. I will tell you before I want. I want to. Had a other couple of quick stories as examples of this ongoing effort to silence the conservatives in this country. But very quickly in Southern Poverty Law Center, occasionally they even, I mean, they, they are just determined, anyone speaking truth, 
anyone advocating for liberty, anyone advocating to understand and solve issues, advocating for truth, is their enemy. So they had the Southern Poverty Law Center has now dozens of lawsuits pending against it for having added people to their hate list. They have a ridiculous, you know, list of haters, whatever they have, there's some dumb name they have, it doesn't even matter. It's the Southern Poverty Law, you know, Center list of people that they they say are haters. But they made the mistake of naming someone into that group um, who is the founder of a Quilliam Foundation, Quilliam Foundation. His name is Majid Nawaz. He is a moderate Muslim who formed the Quilliam Foundation to try to expose radical Islam and say, you got to stop these guys. He's trying to expose radical Islam, like the people who murder and slaughter and all the horrible things they do. He's try- this guy was trying to expose that, still retaining his identity as a moderate Muslim, and he got put by Southern Poverty Law Center on their hate list. But he didn't take it sitting down. So this guy, I think he's a Brit, Majad Nawaz, they put him in the Field Guide to Anti-Muslim Extremists was the group that name they put him in. Just so ridiculous. Anyway, he sued them because there's absolutely nothing hateful about his organization. He sued them. He was tenacious. And them getting close to realizing that they were going to get clobbered at trial settled with him for $3.3 million, which you might think is great because that's a lot of money and I'm happy he got it. But you have to understand, Southern Poverty Law Center has named dozens and dozens of good, noble people and organizations as haters. And Southern Poverty Law Center has deep pockets like nobody's business, offshore accounts. These people are not hurt by having to pay $3.3 million. But I am glad at least, that one person spoke up. Okay, you know, we're going to have to zip off to a break here. I'm Debbie Georges. America Can We Talk? Come right back. If you want to get at the issues that really matter for women and men, go to IWF.org. That's the Independent Women's Forum. IWF is all about increasing the number of American women who value free markets and personal liberty. IWF's motto is all issues are women's issues. They bring a fact-based approach to politics, policy, and culture. When the left tried to peddle a phony war on women, IWF shot back with facts and figures. American women aren't victims in need of ever-increasing government protection. And IWF doesn't think things are perfect, but they believe that individual liberty is the key to prosperity and fulfillment. Along with their sister organization, Independent Women's Voice, IWVoice.org, which is a leader in the fight against Obamacare, they offer policy papers, op-eds, and a popular blog on issues of the day. So visit IWF at IWF.org. That's IWF.org. Let me tell you about the group Vice President Mike Pence called the most effective grassroots pro-life organization in America. It's the Susan B. Anthony List, and they're the ones who are on Capitol Hill right now, day in, day out, to fight back against Planned Parenthood and the abortion industry. Every day in our nation, abortion takes more than 2,000 innocent lives, almost two every single minute of every single day. And Planned Parenthood is the largest abortion business in the country, committing one-third of all abortions. It's an unspeakable tragedy and a stain upon our nation and our humanity. And it's up to us to do something about it. This is your opportunity to join the team that's leading the charge to end abortion. Go to sba-list. 
org or Google Susan B. Anthony List now to learn more and start saving lives today. America is greatly blessed by the men and women serving in our military who are defending us every day, making our freedom possible. Military families also serve, and they face hardships while dads and moms are far from home. Military families endure frequent moves around the country and overseas, requiring them to adjust to new schools and make new friends over and over. They also face anguish while their soldier is deployed overseas, often in harm's way. The Army Scholarship Foundation offers one way to help military families by providing academic scholarships to children and spouses of soldiers. And you can help. Visit ArmyScholarshipFoundation.org and consider making a tax-deductible donation to help a military family member pursue his or her educational dreams. Assisting military family members with their college education is a great way for all of us at home to say thank you to our military families for your service and sacrifice. Visit ArmyScholarshipFoundation.org and get involved today. Our nation faces a choice. The path of big government based out of Washington or the unique brand of liberty and prosperity enjoyed here in Texas. For 27 years, the Texas Public Policy Foundation has helped leaders in the Lone Star State prove that fiscal restraint and small government can deliver opportunity and prosperity for all. The Texas Public Policy Foundation promotes and defends solutions here and around the country based on liberty, free enterprise, and personal responsibility. Whether in Forming the national debate on property rights, energy, taxes, education, or criminal justice, the foundation works to translate ideas into real change. The Texas Public Policy Foundation does not accept government funds or contributions to influence the outcome of its research. It is supported by thousands of people like you who are concerned about the future of our country. You can help Texas remain strong as the beacon of liberty in America. Visit TexasPolicy.com to learn more. Welcome back to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie George Addis. I'm so, so happy you've tuned in. I'm so grateful for the opportunity to talk to you every Sunday evening. Um, I would do it uh, three, five days a week, three hours a day. I just love talking about America. Um, I want to take a moment to thank the sponsor of our show. Our show is sponsored, America Can We Talk, is sponsored by GC Works, which is a Dallas-based company that performs research in advanced technology and delivers innovative approaches to the oil and gas industry could not do the show without them. Impossibly grateful for them. Just lovely people. So thank you so much to GC Works. Okay. I want to finish one more point about the social media stuff, um, which is I just thought it was interesting. You know, Daniel, David Horowitz is hugely famous and very, very, uh, obviously he was able to bring the uh, MasterCard and Visa people around us saying, oh, okay, okay, we're going to stop. We're, we'll cooperate. But many people don't have that power. And you have YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Google, just... It's, it's like a cabal. It's part of the massive left-wing cabal that is saying we're going to silence conservative voices in this country. One little example was, and I want to we'll talk more about this story in the next hour, but there was a, there's a woman named Selena Zito, and um, she became famous during the Trump campaign. You know, she kind of tried to get in touch with the American people, kind of saying, you know, what is it that is grabbing people so much about this candidate? So she had an article, she published an article in the New York Post this week. The article was called, Why Trump's Supporters Won't Care About Cohen and Manafort's Convictions. Okay, 
That is, by the way, a 100% true statement, which we'll talk about the next hour. But she published that story, and it kept disappearing. She put it up on her Facebook page. It kept disappearing. She contacts Facebook. She went through all the ways that she had to try to contact Facebook. You know, she went through, they have several systems. Um, she sent, put a polite tweet, then she direct messaged them. Um, then she sent a message through the Facebook page, then a message through support, the support system, no answer. And she kept, and they, it came up, we think this is spam. I mean, the point is, she was just writing an article about how Trump supporters are not going to be swayed from supporting him because of the Manafort conviction in the Cohen guilty plea. And and she's, I think she's without question 100% right. I mean, just couldn't be a writer, as they say. But, um, you know, the the thought, obviously, at Facebook, and now I will say, somebody at Facebook put a statement out that it was something like it was probably just a bot, they didn't mean to do it, it was automatic. Okay, what is your bot programmed to pick out as spam? I mean, really, we just, this stuff, guys, I mean, it's going to matter for decades whether we insist that somehow what we all now use as our main vehicles to get information, we go to Google, we go to Facebook, go to YouTube, go to Twitter. We don't read the New York Times and Washington, well, we do sometimes read the New York Times and Washington Post, but not because we think that they're an objective source of news. They have their view. They're just, you know, they're, they're, they're left-wing journalism. Everybody knows it. It's okay. But... People trying to find things out when they go to the Internet and Google things, when they, they expect to find a spectrum of ideas, they expect to be able to find the things they're looking for. And when the left-wingers who run Silicon Valley are steering everything away, what they're really doing, they're not just hurting President Trump or the conservatives who voted for him. They're, they are deeply damaging the broadly speaking American political conversation, the ability of America to talk about issues, to understand issues, to hear the other side. This is a, a fundamental Western civilization idea. Speaking of Western civilization, I saw this thing. You know, they're the man, the street kind of interviews, and they just stop. Well, this one I think was put out by, um, oh, I'm not sure which organization did it. But anyway, on a college campus asking these college students if they'd ever, there was a, a statement in a recent speech by the uh, governor of New York just saying America was never great. And so this guy went on a college campus and just asked him, these students, you know, what do you think about, has America, is it great? Has it ever been great? And then he also asked him if they knew what American exceptionalism is. So Greg, if we have it, this is clip one. This week, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo stirred up controversy by saying America has never been great. What do young people think about that claim? Let's find out. Governor Cuomo came out here in New York at an event and said that the slogan Make America Great Again is flawed because it implies that America was great at some point. So we've been asking people their take. Do you think America has ever been truly great? I don't believe America has been great for all folks ever, even today. I would have to agree with Governor Cuomo. Can you point to a time or do you think there was a time when America was great? I mean, not particularly. The idea that there was a once great America is, you know, pointing towards this false sense of nationalism that, you know, what is talking about white America? You know, it's, yeah, it's not great. I think it has been great for straight white men for a very long time. Do you think that there is a time you can point to where America was great? I don't know. <laughs> Honestly. Was American exceptionalism taught in the classroom or do you know what that is? No. No, it was not. No, I do not. Okay. And is that a phrase that you're familiar with? I've never heard it before. Okay. 
I personally wasn't taught American exceptionalism because I went to a very like, forward-thinking liberal school here in the city. I, I don't think I've heard that term before in class. Were your professors and your teachers teaching you the idea that America was great and, and was the best, or was it kind of the opposite? It was kind of the opposite. Okay, I had to cut it off because this, this interview went on and on and on and on and on. All these young people saying essentially... They had not ever heard of the idea of American exceptionalism. They didn't think America was very great. And as you know, if you're a listener, if you're a first-time listener of the show, I'll tell you. And if you listen very often, you know that the main purpose of doing my show is to speak up for the extraordinary, exceptional identity of America. Not just when it was founded or in some abstract concepts. The ideas of its founding were exceptional. It, it create the ideas created a country that's exceptional, not perfect not flawless, not a perfect human history, but the most extraordinary country in the world committed to honoring the individual freedom, individual God-given freedom, the rights of individuals from God simply because we were born. That's the purpose of America. That's, a, that's the idea. It's created the most extraordinary, exceptional, abundant, prosperous, free, civil, just safe, uh, uh, full of opportunity society. That's what American exceptionalism is. And there's a lot of other definitions. But the idea of these young people didn't even know what that was. They're, they're looking, I mean, you just heard the audio. They're looking at this guy like, what are you even talking about? They had no idea. And I'm going to pile on to that concept by pointing out uh, there was a, a study that came out. This was by a congressional commission. Congress present, uh, uh, appoints a commission to look into the influence that China, as one example, this was about China, the influence of the Chinese government on the American political system. First, let me tell you the groups in Washington that have the cachet, have the reputation of being, well, they're a little left-leaning, but, you know, they're in the American ballpark. It's all part of the American political conversation. Getting money from, as Limbaugh calls them, the Chicoms. Johns Hopkins School of Advanced International Studies, the Brookings Institution, Atlanta Council, Center for American Progress, the East-West Institute, the Carter Center, and the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace. These people, and when you, I'm going to try to fit in, I don't know how much time I have, okay, I have four minutes, I can tell you a little bit more. This, what these, what was uncovered by this now public report was that the communist government, and there's all sorts of layers of the Chinese communist government, and they have the, you know, they have their uh, party united front strategy, and there's the uh, Chang Chi Hua vice chair of the Chinese People's Consultative Congress, and the Politburo Standing Committee, all sorts of, you know, bureaucracy. The bottom line is they funnel money to organizations that look in your face every day, that put statements out in the media, that live on the internet, that talk about their thoughtful nature, and they are being funded and therefore manipulated by advocates for communism. That's what China does. And this is part of the problem. I mean, I, and I finished telling you, I can't read you the whole long report here, but this is like student organizations on campus, like they have the Chinese-American students, when you might think, oh, that's so nice. They're making a special group to make people feel welcome here. Chinese-American student groups funded 
by the Chinese Communist Party and then, therefore, putting out on campus ideas that they are getting from, that are approved by the Chinese Communist government, the Chinese Communist Party. And so, for example, uh, they have the 142 Chinese students and they call them uh, student and Scholars Association, CSSA, in the United States. They, these groups routinely coordinate with the Chinese government. They've been involved in the suppression of free speech, the harassment, intimidation, and surveillance of Chinese student activists. Chinese intelligence officers are posted in diplomatic facilities in pri- as a primary point of contact for these groups. There's a Confucius Institute you know, that used to have that when we were growing up, people would say Confucius says, was always some saying, the Confucius Institute, located in hundreds of American campuses, are advancing Beijing's preferred narrative to subvert important ad- academic principles such as institutional autonomy and academic freedom. They're trying to subvert that. They have, I mean, I, I could go on and on. They have former, um, they have a former Chinese um, a former Chinese diplomat who um, actually defected to Australia in the year 2005. And he is given, he's told this, this group, writing the commission report, that China is working to coerce and incentivize to recruit Chinese students as informants. And then in addition to all this garbage, they have the, um, the China, China Association for International Friendly Contact. What a nice name, Friendly Contact, uh-huh. Uh, it is a CAIFC, a front organization for the former General Political Department. It performs dual roles, intelligence collecting, conducting propaganda and perception management campaigns. Another Communist Party front is the China Association for International Friendly Contact. That's part of the Chinese military's Central Military Commission's Political Work Department. So... When you hear things from these groups, and again, groups like the Johns Hopkins School of Advanced International Studies, you hear things from the Brookings Institute, which has always been very left-wing, but they pretend they're, oh, no, they're moderate. I was was in Washington once in line for some political event, and these women in front of me started chit-chatting in line, and they said, oh, yeah, we're here with the Brookings Institute. I said, oh, that's a really left-leaning, you know, really liberal group. They said, oh, no, 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 they're centrist. We're centrist. We're moderate. I'm like... No, you're not. These these were like people who weren't really worked for them. They just kind of got involved and went on a field trip with them, with the Brookings Institute. These are left-wing organizations, and I'm getting at the idea that, and we're going to talk about this right after the break coming back, but getting at the idea that we hear things in our society, and we think, well, those are reasonable Americans who've listened to the broad spectrum of political ideas, and they are just so, you know, um, interested in, and, um, you know, they, they're broad-minded, and they see things a little bit differently— And we're not recognizing these are people paid by communist propagandists to change American society, to 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 crush our belief in freedom and and embrace our their belief in communism. Debbie George Addis come right back for the 